services to hear from our pastor. And he's going to give a sermon that um, you're going to like. You really are. It's going to be informative and intelligent. <laughs> and it's going to be worth your while to listen. And today for the sermon, our pastor, Mr. Steve Andrews. I uh, hope everyone had an enjoyable Thanksgiving. We did. And uh, after Thanksgiving, we had all the little ones over. And I was working in my book here. I have this uh, notebook that I, I write in. And one of them wanted to help me out. <laughs> so I've got, I've got part of my notes over on this side. Now, I'm not sure exactly what it says, but I've got my notes over here. So anyway, <laughs> as I was perusing through because uh, David was supposed to have the message today, but I, uh, I told him no problem. We came up with uh, a message today, and, I, and God brought me to an interesting area because I've been thinking about some of the things that um, might happen in a world that we're living in and, and things and changes that might be going on towards uh, even in our own United States of America and how uh, it might affect us and, and change our 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 lives and, and so every time that we have a presidential election there's always a possibility of, of a change of uh, uh, the guard if you want to call it that and uh, we may have that uh, coming up very very soon and those of you that are uh, following online I'm, I, I hope that you've also had a, a good time uh, this Thanksgiving uh, season and I know in some areas that it's been a little bit difficult the situation with the COVID-19 and different lockdowns and different things. And it's very, sometimes it's very disheartening, but we all have to have that, what I call that, the strength of God's word to carry us through, to give us that strength that we need to understand why things happen, what's going on in the world, and, and, and be really uh, attuned. And sometimes it's interesting uh, that you find a, a verse that, piques your interest a little bit. And I found that verse in Revelation, the 11th chapter. And, and it got me to thinking about what, what was being said there. And so I'm going to read a few verses here. One to, uh, in Revelation 11, verses 1 to 8. And I'm going to stop it. Um, I'm going to stop at verse 8. Um, and there was given me a reed, like a rod, like to a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is outside the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So we have a time uh, stamp there, forty and two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. So that's twelve hundred and sixty days that they are going to prophesy. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. Now you might look, you're interested in Zechariah 4, where 
also talked about, Zechariah 4, verse 3, and you also can have Zechariah 4, 12, and 14. Again, give you a little background in, in that particular area. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. What a, a powerful two witnesses that are going to walk on this uh, in Jerusalem in that area. It's going to be uh, interesting for the world to witness because these individuals are going to have so much power that no matter what they throw at them, bombs, guns, everything, they can turn around and throw it right back at them and kill them again and kill the the ones, and they don't die. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. They have power over the water to turn them to blood. Uh, if, it's, if it's not quite evident to you right there, it's the same plagues and things that, that God allowed M Moses to bring upon the Egyptians. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And so they might use some of those same plagues that Moses was commanded to use. And of course, God will be directing them, and they'll have that power to do what, what they need to do. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So they have a time frame, and they know that, they, that they're not going to survive this preaching that they're going to do, this powerful preaching that they're going to do. And their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. So we know that that is pointing to Jerusalem, the great city, which is spiritually, and this is what caught my eye, spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And we understand that when Israel came out of Egypt, they had a little problem with the um, idols, the Egyptian idols. And so consequently, they, the first thing when Moses went up on the mountain, what did they do? They built a golden calf and began to worship it. And so out of Egypt, of those things that came out of Egypt were idols. Which an interesting thing is that they also had some problems with their um, how do I put it um, sensual desires. Uh, let's put it that way, because Sodom was a was a horrible place, and God looked down upon it and, and He says, "I can't stand this anymore." <laughs> he says, "I am going to go down, and I'm going to take care of it." And I'm not going to go to it, but you can, you can look it up. Genesis 13 and Genesis 18. It goes through all of this. And, and it started out with Abraham and Lot. And both of them were very rich. And Abraham said to Lot, hey, you pick where you want to go. You just pick where you want to go. Well, Lot decided that he would pitch his tent around the city of Sodom. And so that's where he ended up. He ended up in the... Uh, right there, and then, of course, Abraham went to the around where the Canaanites in that area. So they separated. And the next thing we know, we find Lot, 
sitting at a gate. Kind of interesting, isn't it? He was in the evening, sitting at a gate at night, so that if any traveler came, he could warn them. He could warn them of what they were about ready to enter. Now, we understand that Sodom was not the only city. There were actually five cities that God had a desire to, you know, to, to get rid of. Now, up to this point, Abraham had asked God not to destroy the whole thing if there were ten righteous people in there. Don't, don't kill all of these people. If there are ten righteous, you've got, he started out with 50 and kept right working down, and, ten, and God could not find ten righteous people. And when the angels came, they had to blind those men, those sodomites, because that's what they were, and imagine what they were doing. And I, I've often wondered, because you can read through that and you can think, well, they were trying to get to these men, to these angels, and they kept trying, they kept trying. Even when they were blind, they were trying. And I'm wondering, and I've said this before when I went through this uh, fairly uh, deeply, that maybe the AIDS virus had already been plaguing this whole region, and God did not want that to escape out of that region. I don't know. But the, the, the way these men were acting, it was like they were totally insane, trying to get to these new men that had just come into the city. And so the angels... Blinded them, and they had no way of getting it. And the angels told Lot, "Go, go out and see if you can find the rest of your family, because God is going to destroy this this whole region." Well, he went to his his son-in-laws and asked them, "Come on, get out of here! God's going to destroy it." And they mocked him. They mocked him. They were so. Um, brainwashed in this society that they would not leave. They would not listen. They were so brainwashed in this society. And I'm going to open one of these bottles here. And I'm going to last a little bit of water. And so we we uh, from that, we've, we find out that Lot has grabbed up, moved out, so that, they, so these, uh, so that this, could, this area could be destroyed. And, and so Lot goes, he asked that, because they wanted him to go into the mountains. And, and he says, no, I, I want to go to Zor. Well, Zor was one of the, the five cities that God was going to destroy. So, but he, he gave them, okay, go to Zor. Well, when Lot got there after the, those other cities were destroyed, I guess he found that they weren't very uh, happy with him being there. So he ended up in the mountains anyway. In Second Peter, we find an interesting uh, detail about Lot and how he felt being trapped in that particular city and being the gatekeeper of the Sodomites. In the second chapter of the second Peter, just a couple of verses here, beginning in verse 6, 
and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with the overthrow, making them an example to those that after should live ungodly. That's in the scriptures, brethren. That's, that's written there for our admonition and for our understanding. But God overthrew that, that, those people for a very specific reason, and we need to understand uh, what that lifestyle means to God and, and how um, he is very much uh, hateful of that very lifestyle. He, ju- he delivered just lot, vexed with filthy conduct. That's word com- conversation, if you look that in the scriptures. That actually means conduct of the wicked. For the righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. It may have been his prayer, his praying that God heard. I've got to go down and find out. I've got to go see what's going on down there because that's what he said. I've heard one thing, but I'm going to go down and look and find out if it's true. And when he found out it was true, he was ready to destroy Sodom, Gomorrah, and three other cities. But he only destroyed four and left Zorah. Now, I found the, the other cities' names, and then I couldn't find it again. So if you want to look that up and, and be interested in it, you can do that. So the, the idea that Jerusalem, and by the way, it has a tremendous history going a long way, way back. <laughs> Second temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. And there's no temple there. But in 1948, the year I was born, the Jews once again took residence in that area. And the first thing that happened when they took residence was they had to, had to fight the Arabs. I mean, they literally were surrounded with them. And they only had a very small amount of, of land and territory at that time. They did not have very much. And so they were, they were fighting for their life uh, to keep from getting pushed back to the sea. And ever since, ever since they've been in that, in that region, they have had the same problem. That Jerusalem is where God loves. And yet, physically, the people that live there are more like we are. They're um, secular. They, uh, they have a lot of uh, Jewish scholars and Jewish people that are very dedicated to the uh, to the Old Testament and to the Scriptures, and they also have a lot of Christians that live in that in that area. But for the most part, they're also very secular, and they have a lot of uh, different problems in um, in the is- Israel uh, as a state. So we we can look at it, we can see those different things. But God has always had His heart in that particular area, and there's an interesting. Um, things in the, the book of Ezekiel uh, that really shows God's heart for that area. And, it, and it's a spiritual thing because the, the words he uses are like, like physical stuff, but it really comes down to a spiritual love for that region. And, and for those of us who have never been there, I, we probably have a hard time understanding that depth of love that God has for that particular part of the of the world. 
But that is his part. And I'm going to read something in this scripture that says, he says, this is mine. This is mine. So let's go to Ezekiel, the 16th chapter. And let's read some verses in there. I can't read all of it. There's a lot of, a lot of verses there. So let, let's, just, let's just go to Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, and read a few verses. And get an understanding of God's feeling and why he hates what they have become and what they were. And in a, in a sense, this is also a prophecy of the future because <laughs> Ezekiel was sitting as a, as, a, as a slave on the, the river Kibar writing the book of Ezekiel that we have today and writing these prophecies, writing this information for us. Beginning in, I'm going to read 1 through 14. And again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity is of the land of Canaan, and your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. And as far as your nativity in the day you were born, your navel was not cut, neither were you washed in the water to supple you. You were not salted or all at all, nor swaddled at all. No eye pitied you to do any uh, of these to you, to have compassion upon you. But you were cast out uh, in the open field, in the loathing of your person in the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you polluted in your own blood, I said to you, when you were in your blood, live. Yea, I said to you, when you were in your blood, live. I have caused you to multiply as the bud of the field, and you have increased and waxen great, and you are come to excellent ornaments. Your breasts are fashioned, your hair is grown, whereas you were naked and, and bare. Now when I passed by you and looked upon you, behold, your time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over you, covered your nakedness. Yea, I swore to you and entered into a covenant with you, said the Lord God, and you became mine. Interesting, isn't it? You became mine. So now we see why there is such an interest in, for the, in fact, for the whole world. It's interesting that a lot of the activity in the world uh, seems to revolve around the, the, the area uh, of Palestine and Jerusalem and, that, uh, and Israel and the Arab nations and all the battles that have happened down through the ages. And, and until recently, the, the, um, the desire to have oil, because it was an oil-rich area as I were there. And so there was a lot of battles just because of the oil richness in that, in that particular area. But God's feeling for Jerusalem is so great. And he, his words are like a husband, a father, all the different things, bringing out his disappointment in this Jerusalem. He says, then I washed you with water, Yea, I thoroughly washed you away your blood from you, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered work, and shod you with 
badger skin, and I girded you about with linen, fine linen, and I covered you with silk. I decked you also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon your hands and a chain upon your neck. I put a, a jewel on your forehead and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown upon your head. Thus were you decked with gold and silver, and your raiment was of fine linen and silk and broidered work. You did eat fine flour and honey and oil, and you were exceedingly beautiful, and you did prosper into a kingdom. And your renown went forth among the heathen for your beauty and for the perfect, uh, uh, for it was perfect through my comeliness which I had put upon you. So God chose this region, that area, for his own. Let's skip to verse 22 through 26. Because there's a lot of reading here. And, and, and you all can go back and, and really absorb this if you'd like. And I, wanna, I just want to really focus on a few of these words here. And, it all, and in all your abominations and your whoredoms, you have not remembered the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and were polluted in your blood. And it came to pass after, that your, after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you. Now, if you take that and put that in the book of Revelation, well, we'll find that here in just a little bit. This is an interesting prophecy of the days to come. That you have also built to you an eminent place and have made you a high place in every street. You have built your high, pl uh, your high place at every head of the way and have made your beauty to be ab abhorred. And you have opened your feet to everyone that passed by and multiplied your whoredoms. Um, I don't know how to put this delicately because <laughs> it's not really easy to do. A, a prostitute sells herself. You know, she gets money. A whore just goes around whoever she finds that uh, to get that favor, that special favor that whores get. And so God is very upset with this because Jerusalem is his special place. And she's out running around on him. This is what it amounts to. And she's out running around, you know, just wherever. Oh, come on, Egypt, come on, uh, you know, wherever, come on. And she is now... Um, Chided by God for, for her whoredom. Behold, therefore I have stretched out my hand over you, and I have diminished your ordinary food, and delivered you to the will of them that hate you, and the daughters of the Philistines, which are ashamed, uh, uh, ashamed of your lewd way. It is interesting that they have had to battle an awful lot with the Arabs in that area, and and they have done some things too that. Um, have put them in this particular position. Let's go to verses 46 now. Let's pick it up there. As I said, there's a lot of reading here, and, and if you would really like to, to, to delve into this, this, is, this would be a good chapter to, to look at it. But I want to I focus on these last few verses here because they talk about this relationship of, of Samaria and Sodom and, and, and how that she fits into that. In verse 46, your elder sister is Samaria. Um, if you remember when they, the, the kingdom split, when the kingdom was split, 
the northern uh, the ten tribes went there in the uh, in Jerusalem and and the the other tribes that were left stayed in that particular area and became Judah. So they Israel and Judah, and there were uh, and of course then after the um, God couldn't see any worth in, in keeping Israel around any longer because of all their sins and because there was never a good king ever to to live in that uh, to to rule over or reign over Israel and in fact. The first thing that they do is they set up what? Golden calves in two different places. Again, Egypt coming. And so what does he do? What does God say? He says, your elder sister is Samaria, and she and her daughters that dwell at your left hand, and your younger sister that dwells at your right hand is Sodom and her daughters. Wow. This is quite a um, a set of... um, things to say about something that he really loves. But it is for God has a purpose and a reason sometimes to try to wake people up, try to wake uh, society up. Yet you have not walked after their worries nor done after their abominations, but as if they, but as if they were a very little thing, you, are, you were corrupted more than they in your ways. As I live, says the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, has, done, uh, has not done she nor her daughters as you have done, you and your daughters. You know, Jerusalem was supposed to be special to God. They were supposed to honor God. They were supposed to live by God's way. And they were perverting that down through the ages. And, they, and I think they probably can, uh, still do. And in a lot of different ways. Behold, this is uh, this is the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her, and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. They were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. God is God's the ruler of all. And he, he has some loves for certain places and, and, he, and some loves for certain people. And he will go to, to many lengths, but he will also punish. And it's interesting down through the ages how he has done that. I mean, the Romans literally level the temple in 70 A.D. And there's a few remnants that they're finding here and there, but they leveled it. He says, uh, says, And they were haughty, committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. Neither has Samaria committed half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they and have justified your sisters in all your abominations which you have done. You also which have judged your sisters bear your own shame for your sins that you have committed more abominable than they. They are more righteous than you are. Yea, <clears throat> be you confounded also and bear your shame 
in that you have justified your sisters. When I, when I shall bring again their captivity, the captivity of Sodom and her daughters, captivity of Samaria and her daughters, then I will bring again the ta- captivity of your captives in the midst of them. That you may bear your own shame and be confounded in that day um, in that you have done and in that you have uh, are, are a comfort to them. It's interesting what Jesus did happen to say about <clears throat> the resurrection and that the repentance of Sodom and Gomorrah and the different ones would come up in that day and condemn those who had all of this in Jerusalem. I mean, he, he went to the temple. He, he walked those areas. He knew that area. He loved that area. He loved Jerusalem. And yet they were, with their haughtiness, their pride, they were actually polluting the very thing that they were supposed to be protecting and taking care of. And so God, in his wisdom and his love, even for something as that, um, that seems not to be uh, real, but it is, because it, it also has to do with men and women and children that live and who have lived and who have allowed certain things to happen in their life and the leaders that have uh, allowed that. And so he is, he is bringing this correction, talking about this correction and how he is, um, feels about this very place that he loves. He said that you may bear your own shame and may be confounded in all that you have done and that you, have, <clears throat> that you are a comfort to them. When your sisters Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former estate, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former estate, then you and your daughters shall return to your former estate. For your sister Sodom was not mentioned by your mouth in the day of your pride. Before your wickedness was discovered <clears throat> at the time of your reproach of the daughters of Syria, and all that are round about her, the daughters of the Philistines, which despise you round about. You have borne your lewdness and your abominations. You have borne your lewdness and your abominations, said the Lord. I might go ahead and read just the last few verses here. I have some time to do that. For thus says the Lord God, I will even deal with you as you have done, which have uh, despised the oath um, in the breaking of the covenant. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish you to an everlasting covenant. Then you shall remember your ways and be ashamed when you shall receive your sisters and your elder and your younger, and I will give them to you for daughters, but not by your covenant. And I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame when I am pacified towards you all that you have uh, toward you for all that you have done and so <laughs> when they come up into the kingdom and the various ones that have lived in Jerusalem the various leaders they're all going to be ashamed they're going to be terribly ashamed of how they acted down through the ages 
God is going to show them their shame. But I think they're just like this. He's, he's, that covenant is going to be re- reestablished, and he's going to love them. And he's going to love those that are going to be living in that area. Let's go to Revelation, the 13th chapter. I'll come back to Revelation 11 here in just a minute. In that time of the end, it's kind of an interesting time, and so I wanted to, I wanted to spend a little time on, the, on what is going to happen uh, right there towards the end. In, in chapter 13, there is a beast that comes up, and, and we see some different things that are, that, are going to, um, that are going to rule this earth at that time. And I think, I think if you look at what's going on in the world, the different things that are, are beginning to, to gel out there, especially as we see the, the various um, uh, nations becoming more and more global in their, in their thinking more and more uh, in the way that they're doing. So we have to have a, you have to have a mechanism to bring all this together because the world, world ruling government is not going to happen without there being some kind of a mechanism to bring all of these different people together. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and upon his horns ten crowns and upon his head uh, the names of blasphemy. So this is a very nasty beast. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet was the feet of a bear. His mouth was the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power and his seat and great authority. So Satan is behind this beast. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So whatever happens at the end, this is going to be a, a powerful war-making machine that is not going to be able uh, to be withstood. And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things, blasphemies, power was given to him. They continue 40 and two months. That's three and a half, three and a half years of this, this um, uh, great uh, beast. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his temple, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given to him over the kindreds and tongues and nations. And so, (laughs) even the saints will be battling this. If we can recognize who it is and how it's being put together, maybe we'll have some say-so. But we might also die from, from our attempts because we're going to be in the battle with these. As he says, he's going to make war with the saints. He's going to overcome them. And power was given to him over all the kindreds and the tongues and the nations. And so it's going to be, this beast power is going to have a lot of power. A lot of power. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And remember what Jesus said. You can do all these miracles. You can do all those things. But the only thing that's important is that your name is written in the book of life that's in heaven. That is the most important thing for all of us. And you pray that God keeps your name in that book till the day that we're in his kingdom. 
If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. So here's that false prophet that comes up. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he, and he does great wonders so that he makes fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make uh, an image to the beast which had the wound by the, a sword and did live. And he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So remember, you go back to Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. He built this giant, huge image and caused everybody, he wanted everybody to, to bow down and worship. Well, this is the same thing that's going to happen. There will be a decree. You will worship this image. It's interesting that people are getting fired for not putting the rainbow on their shirts or places. It's interesting how some of these things are, are coming about, uh, that uh, being deceived and being manipulated and, and different things that are happening. They're small things, yes, but they can lead to a lot bigger things as they begin to... to cloud the, the minds of men. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mask. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's a mark in their forehead. Or their foreheads. Did I, did, I, did I read that right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, anyway, I, I read that in, in, in somebody's column. He, he actually had that, and he said, no, no, and the mass is not the mark of the beast. <laughs> but you can see how easy it is for humankind to actually fall in to step. You know, it's just a matter that uh, this is going to be something larger than mask, I can tell you that. It's going to be something that, that will, will overrule. I, and I'm, I'm wondering if, if it isn't uh, a plague, maybe this one, I don't know something that you have to take, a vaccine or something, and you carry a card around. Or you, or you're, you have a mark. Or you, uh, um, for those of you that had a smallpox vaccination, by the way, <laughs> know that there is a permanent mark on your arm. <laughs> it, is, it doesn't go away. I haven't looked at it in a few years, but mine's still there. I'm sure it is. And uh, in fact, I had one when I was really young and another one when I got older. So uh, I probably have two of them there somewhere. But it's, it might be something like that. Something that, that will be, you will be forced to. I, I noticed now Qantas won't, won't let you fly unless you have vaccinated. Um, this is the first airline that's telling everybody, uh, you're going to have to bring me a, a vaccination card before you even get on our plane. And so I don't know how many of the other airlines are going to do that, so international travel. But we understand also, of course, that a lot of places in the world, you can't go there 
because there's yellow fever and there's all kinds of different other places you have to vac be vaccinated or you're going to get it and you're going to and, and some of these are very uh, very uh, hard on uh, you personally uh, you might have a difficult time personally I don't know whether you can pass some of them but probably so and so they make you if you are going to go to a certain region in the world you you are vaccinated but this one is like a you can't even fly on our plane without it so um, I don't know where that's going to stand, but it's interesting that, it, that it, it's there and that things are like this are happening. And you can be aware of that. You can read the scriptures and understand that sometime, somewhere, this is going to happen. And it is real. It's true. No man might buy or sell save that he had the mark. And, you know, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of the man. His number is 666. 666. Well, <laughs> how many people have really been able to go down through the ages try to find somebody that has that, uh, that, that name? That's just, it's, it's happened down through the ages. Anyway, let's go back to, to Revelation, the 11th chapter, and let's look at some more, a couple more things uh, that I left out. Beginning in verse 9. <clears throat> So, the two witnesses, they prophesy, they preach, they have this power, they, um, they keep rain from coming down for however long they want, they plague, the, the, uh, they turn the rivers to blood. All of this is going on for three and a half years, and all of a sudden, um, they're killed. And they lay in the street for three and a half days. And the people and the kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not pr permit their dead bodies to be put into graves. Now, how, how do we... We're in this modern age, aren't we? So how does the world see that? <laughs> oh, boy. Internet, uh, Twitter, Facebook, no telling how many other places you, can, you could look and find it. YouTube, I mean, it's going to be all over the world. You're going to, you won't even be able to walk around. But what the world will be cheering, they'll be dropping the globe in New York over the death, if New York is still there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big if. If New York is still there, they'll be dropping the globe in New York. And so here all these people of all the world are merry, they're happy, they're excited. Oh, these people are now dead because the two prophets tormented them and they dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here! And they descended into heaven in a cloud and the enemies beheld them. All those people that were uh, shooting at them and, and, and trying to kill them saw this happen. At the same hour there was a great earthquake and the tenth part of the city fell and the earthquake were slain of men, seven thousand, and the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. See, there was a remnant of those around. Remember, Jesus told them, you start seeing this thing, 
Get up into the mountains. Get out of the city. Don't go back and get anything. Leave. And so that maybe that's that remnant sitting there. They finally, they see it, and they, they know what's happened, and they give God glory. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe comes quickly. Remember what I read in Ezekiel. Woe, woe. Oh, it's interesting that those kind of tie together. Not sure it's totally that way. Jerusalem will have her glory again. <laughs> right now, I, you know, I would like to go to Jerusalem, but I don't think I'll ever make it there. It would be nice. It would be interesting. And I understand it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to see something. Uh, turn to Zechariah just for the, real quickly here with just one verse. But I think we all understand what really is going to happen when Christ returns. And, and it's only in this one verse, and we'll just read it real quickly here. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half towards the east. Uh, south. And so when Christ comes down and his feet touch, this earthquake is going to split. And I heard one time that Christ is going to do a cleanup job. He's going to clean that whole area up. We may be with him. We may be doing a lot of cleanup work ourselves. You know, there's going to be a lot of bodies to be buried, and a lot of things will need to be done. But just imagine, we will be there in that area. We'll be a part of what's going on. When he steps on that mountain and that earthquake happens, we'll be able to watch it because we will already have been with him when he comes back. And we'll be able to see this tremendous thing happen. The heart is in Jerusalem for God. In Revelation, just to finish up here, a shorter message today. Revelation, um, the 20th chapter. Everybody's familiar. We read it a lot. But I, in, in the context of what I'm reading, I think it, it, it fits very, very well. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. After all the things that he's going to be doing, on this earth, to try to destroy mankind. This is, is just reward. To be chained up and thrown into the bottomless pit so that he cannot get out. And he will be bound. This is, <laughs> he's called the dragon. He's a, yeah, that old serpent, the devil, and Satan. He's got a lot of names. Most of them all really bad. He used to be called the light bringer. Lucifer, but now he's just dark, Satan, devil, uh, old serpent. They bound him a thousand years. He's not going to be able to, to influence anyone for one thousand years. They cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them and judgment was given to them. 
And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. See how important it is to know what that really is? Because we don't want that mark. We don't want that to be a part of our life, to be a part of the world. We want to be clear of that. We, we want to understand what it is. I'd like to know. Right now, I'd like to know. I don't think it's masked. I really don't. But I, I would like to know what that mark is because one of these days, it is going to, put, to, to make we, you and I, who dwell on this earth and, and believe in Jesus Christ and believe in, the, in his coming and believe in the word of God, we're going to have to stand up and fight against it. And so we need to know what it is. They had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received a mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy. Brethren, those, are, those words there are so profound. Blessed and holy is he that has part in this first resurrection and on such the second death has no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years brother I look forward to that I don't know what our future is I don't know what's going to happen um, uh, in the next year two years whatever but I do know that as long as we're faithful to God and we believe his word and we desire to be in his kingdom, and we desire to have that office in that kingdom, that you and I will be there. We will be standing with Jesus on the Mount of Olives.